So good morning and good evening and welcome everyone to this book launch of Pallavas and Chalukyas Cooperation in Stone. Uh, I am Abhinav Agarwal, your host for the for this book launch event, and we have a distinguished galaxy of uh, panelists who have uh, kindly consented to grace this occasion and uh, and honor us with a few words. So this is how we are uh, going to be running this uh, uh, this event. So we uh, will have our. Uh, uh, our, our chief guest and our guest of honor uh, who will say a few words and then we will invite other special honored guests who have, as I said, consented to come on to this event and each have uh, each person has also agreed to speak on one uh, particular area as it relates to this book. And before I get into, uh, in, into the actual launch, uh, I'll say a few words about our chief guest, uh, Sri Bibek Debroy. So as you all know, Sri Bibek Debroy is the chairman of the Prime Minister's Economic Advisory Council. But in addition, he also has made, uh, he is not only the author of more than 100 books that have spanned areas uh, such as uh, law reforms and uh, railways and economics, world trade, Sanskrit translations to even a book on limericks. Uh, he before that, he was the member of Niti Aayog till June 2019. In 2010, which is more than a decade back, he began his, uh, trans his translation of the unabridged Mahabharat, uh, specifically the critical edition as published by the Bandarkar Oriental Research Institute. This project continued till 2014 when all 10 volumes were, were published. Uh, in 2015, uh, he followed up with the translation of the Hari Vansh in 2016 of the critical edition of the Valmiki Ramayana. This was followed by a three-volume translation of the Bhagavad Puran, then followed the Markande Puran. Uh, last year, he published, uh, he wrote two more books, uh, Mahabharat for uh, the Bhagavad Gita for Millennials, and a book on, uh, uh, on the original translator into English of the Mahabharat, Manmat Dutt. He was awarded the Padma Shri in 2015. And with those uh, remarks, it is my delight and honor to invite Sri Bibek Debroy to say a few words and, uh, and and open launch this book launch event. Thank you, Avinav. And thank you, Hariji, not only for having invited me, but for having given me the opportunity of reading this book, quite a heavy book actually, in advance. Uh, because for people who do not know yet that since I have contributed a blurb, I had a preview of the book. And it's a fantastic, fantastic book. So congratulations to the two authors, Gurpreet Chopra and Bharat. Most of us are familiar with some of the temple complexes. There are five, four major complexes that are described in this book. Most of us are familiar. I hope I'm not provoking anyone by this remark. Most of us are familiar with at least two of them, Mahavalipuram and Kanchipuram. The ones associated with the Pallavas, probably some people are not that familiar with the two. 
associated with the Chalukyas. This is a fantastic book because it describes itself as a coffee table book, but it's a book you'd like to carry with you when you actually visit these places. Because though I said people are familiar with, let's say, Mahabalipuram, and if there's a question asked in a quiz show about Arjuna's penance, most people will recognize it. If it is about Krishna's butter stone, most people will recognize it. Are people necessarily familiar with the cave temples? I don't think so. So this is superb in terms of the photographs that I included. It's superb because it transcends what would normally be a tourist guide because I get to know about the Pallavas, the dynasties, the Chalukya dynasty. And for something like Badami, I even get to know what the administrative structure was like. So therefore, a superb book. And I should also congratulate Indica for having published this book. But I need to be a little bit critical. How can I not be a little bit critical? So I want to make three very, very minor points. The first point is this book is really coffee table in nature. It's very heavy. But it's like the book, it's the kind of book I would like to carry around if I went to Mahabalipuram, Kanchipuram, Badami. So maybe there will be a soft version, ebook version, I don't know. Or if not, of course, with these photographs, it's difficult to reduce the size. But perhaps it's worth contemplating if one can have a smaller size that one can carry around. The second, within quotes, critical thing is that there is no index. So if I'm reading the book from cover to cover, that's okay. But if I am looking for something, it might be a good idea in future editions to have some kind of index, either of the temples or some other form of indexation. And the third point that I want to make reflects my bias. And this bias is that particularly if we are talking about poets, great poets, no matter how good the translation is, you can never capture the beauty. If, it is a if it's a poet who writes complicated Sanskrit poetry, then at one level there is no point giving the Sanskrit. But if it is something like Jayadeva's Dashavatar Stotram, for which there are English translations of Vamana Avatar and Varaha Avatar on page 240 and page 250, I think it would be a good idea to have the Sanskrit. What is the Sanskrit like for Varaha Avatar? Vasati dashana shikhare dharani tavalagna shashini kalanka kaleva nimagna keshava dhrita sukara rupa jaya jagadishahare. Impossible to translate. And it would have just taken one paragraph to do that. Exactly similarly for Vamana avatar, you've got a translation, you don't have the Sanskrit. Chalayasi Vikramane Valim Adhuta Vamana Padanaka Niraja Nitajana Pavana Keshavadrita Vamana Rupa Jayajagadishari. I think 
the Sanskrit also belongs because the translations don't capture it. But again, congratulations. It's a wonderful, wonderful book with maps, including from Google Maps. So it's a very modern kind of book. It's not just maps that one associates with the old kind of tourist books. Congratulations on the book. I think everyone should read it. This version does not have the price, or it does have the price. Well, it's not that exorbitantly priced. Congratulations, and thank you for inviting me again. Thank, thank you, Sri Bibik Debroy. Uh, I and I don't think any of us can agree to let you go so fast and so quickly. <laughs> and you have provided us with, uh, uh, you know, with with at least three suggestions for, uh, you know, that you uh, believe would have improved the book. And the Sanskrit uh, translations are one that you have uh, been for uh, several years now commenting on the need for people to read. For even those uh, who read your, your English translations, you make it a point to mention that the Sanskrit, that a translation cannot capture the essence and the beauty of the Sanskrit. So I think that point is, uh, is very well taken. Now, uh, in, in terms of, uh, I, I, I have two questions and I've, I'm hoping you can uh, shed some light or, or your opinions on. The first one is that uh, if uh, Bharat and Gurpreet were to do a follow-up book, what uh, would you suggest to them? Because uh, with a book like this, I cannot imagine them stopping at just one book. I, I think it would be a tragedy if they were to stop at one book. Uh, so, uh, for a second book, what would you, uh, what would you like to see? Uh, I'm not, you, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not running away. I'm not making my remarks and disappearing. That's, that's not what I'm going to do. But if I look at this book, you see, this book is heavy on pictures, deliberately so. Whatever be the topic for the next book, I think there should be more of text. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, all of these sculptures in the temples, they have associated stories. And they can be text, not very detailed text, but text explaining the essence of those stories, maybe boxes, something like that. In that sense, this is slightly, slightly incomplete because it's heavy on the pictures. One sort of assumes it's not that it's not there at all, but I think one could do a little bit more on that. Secondly, I think there should be a very good introduction because there is quite a lot of material on temple construction per se. What do temples, the way one goes up vertically, what the different layers signify, etc., etc. So if they do a second book on temples, I would suggest a, a good introduction on temple architecture in general, and to a little bit more on the stories. Excellent. Uh, I, if uh, if any of our panelists have a question for Sri Vivek Debroy, uh, you can ask that now. If not, I'm, I'll. Uh, 
I'm not supposed to answer questions. The authors are supposed to answer the questions. Oh, the, the authors will go through a grilling. Trust me, uh, they, they'll go through a complete drilling. But uh, okay, let's do one thing. Let's move to our uh, to our second uh, uh, honored guest. And uh, it, again, as uh, before, gives me great pleasure and honor to uh, invite Sri Minakshi Jain to speak a few words as a guest of honor. And before that, I will read out a few words about uh, uh, Minakshi Jain Ji. So she needs no introduction, but nonetheless... She is a historian and now retired professor of history at Gargi College. Uh, she was awarded the Padma Shri in 2020. And among her notable works are Parallel Pathways, uh, a book on, uh, it's, a, it's a book of uh, essays on Hindu-Muslim relations uh, leading up to, I believe, uh, uh, you know, uh, the middle of the 19th century. Then came a tour de force uh, uh, Rama in Ayodhya in 2013 that uh, still, uh, you know, almost a decade later is uh, one of those landmark books that set, uh, and nar- set a narrative and changed a lot of the misconceptions and deliberate distortions that had been perpetrated over the years. If that was not enough, then Sati, Evangelicals, Baptist Missionaries, and the Changing Colonial Discourse that was published in 2016 was an even greater achievement, uh, if I may say so. This was followed by the Battle for Rama, Case of the Temple at Ayodhya, uh, which came out in 2017. And her last book was Flight of Deities and Rebirth of Temples, Episodes from Indian History, this was published in 2019, and this is perhaps one of the most saddening books I've uh, I've read in a long, long time. And this is a sentiment that a lot of people shared in, but it was and it is a book that was much needed. Uh, and this also provides me a segue into inviting her to talk on temples, the uh, the rebirth of temples as such, and also why a study of uh, temples is important to understand themes such as the cultural harmony in ancient India. So with that, Namaskar uh, Minakshi Jayanji and uh, please. Namaskar to everyone. Just holding the book makes you realize it's a collector's item. The pictures are absolutely stunning as uh, Dr. Debroy has pointed out, but text is also impressive because they have gone through all the scholarly works on this subject by historians like Shivaram Murthy and C. Minakshi and also luminaries who are experts on art history who are present today. So to distill all that information that has been written by scholars over the ages and to present it in a manner that a general reader can uh, comprehend is a very, very uh, notable contribution. Uh, Most people who go to that site or to these sites will not have the time or the uh, training to appreciate the finer points of every shrine and every statue over there. Now they can examine all these things in the comfort of their homes. So it's a very, very important contribution. I'm a historian and I look at the larger picture. And what I appreciated most about this book was how far it went to correct the narrative that is taught in our schools and colleges. That narrative, which is the dominant narrative in schools and colleges 
is about religious strife. The religions are always at war. And this is the narrative that this book uh, corrects. And uh, I would like to make some points in this regard. One is that Jainism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and all other religions, they had shared common symbols, sacred symbols, like chakra, like Srivatsa, like uh, uh, sacred trees, people, kalpabriksh, goddesses like Lakshmi, deities like Ganesh, they all sprang from this soil and they were the heritage of everyone. So all these common sacred symbols were the collective heritage of the people and they were common to Jainism, Buddhism, Hinduism. So to go on saying that this was a country which only witnessed religious strife is very wrong. And I'll just give some examples. The Dharma Chakra of Buddha was reminiscent of the Sudarshan Chakra of Vishnu. Buddha's pad were worshipped, so were Vishnu's pad. Buddha was later assimilated as an avatar of Vishnu. Balram and Vasudev were regarded among the Jains as of 63 great eminent personalities. So there was so much sharing and mingling. And I just give some more examples. In early Jain sacred architecture, there were tablets of homage that were made. They are called Ayagpatas. Now, most of them have been found in a Jain mound, Kankani Tila at Mathura. It was thought that Ayagpatas were a Jain contribution. But Anton Fruer, who excavated a Buddhist site in Ramnagar, found Buddhist Ayagpatras at Bareilly. So to say that Jainism and Buddhism and Hinduism were always at war is not correct. Second point, stupas. We associate stupas with Buddhism. But Jains and Ajivikas also had stupas. So there is at Mathura uh, fragments of an inscription have been found which talk about a Jain stupa. And the Jain and Buddhist stupas were so similar to each other that the uh, Kushan ruler Kanish, he is actually said to have worshipped at a Jain stupa thinking that it was a Buddhist stupa. So these kind of books, they emphasize that there is harmony and they're learning from each other. They have given the example of uh, Chalukyas learning from Pallavs, though they were politically at war. And this is a theme that runs through Indian history. You know, the same workmen, the same artisans, the same craftsmen, they were the same people who were making shrines and sculptures for Buddhists and Hindus. So it was not that the Jains had their special uh, sculptors, architects, and the Buddhists had their own, and the Hindus had their own. It was not like that at all. Now, uh, the other thing that I want to say is that religious structures of Buddhism, Jainism, and Hinduism always existed alongside. 
Gurpreet and Bharat have given the example of the shore temple where two Shiva shrines and a Vishnu shrine were existing alongside. That is repeated all over the country. And I just give uh, two, three examples. At Elora, the most important shrine is the Kailash temple. But total, there are 34 cave temples at Elora. Of them, 17 are Hindu, 12 are Buddhist, and five Jain. So this pattern of shrines existing alongside is repeated all over the country. At Deogar, Deogar was a temple for the 10 avatars of Vishnu. But over there in that temple, we have Shiva, uh, sculptures of Shiva. We have the Pandavas depicted over there. And at that site, we also have so many Jain temples. So this is one point which I liked very much in their book that the temples of various gods, deities are existing alongside. And at Khajura, the Jain ministers and the Chandela kings built their temples at the same site. And the temples from the external appearance were so similar that one could not make out whether it was a Jain temple or a Buddhist or a Vishnu temple or a Shiva temple. And the last point that I want to make is that all these sacred shrines, the donors were ordinary people. It is really amazing that before the coming of the Gupta period, such fabulous temples were the contributions of individual people, common people from all walks of life. Um, in Kankani Tila, the earliest statue that we have found of goddess Saraswati has been given by a metal worker. How do we know that? Because there's an inscription at the base of the temp of the statue in which he says that I'm so-and-so, this is my profession and I'm giving this thing. So again, this flies against the dominant narrative that religion was a means of exploitation of the common people by the people at the top. The actual evidence on the ground does not support this at all. Uh, at the Buddhist sites in Andhra, the donors included monks, nuns, warriors, goldsmiths, and leather workers. At Sanchi, to give you one example, there were we have found 631 inscriptions. Only three have some connection with royalty. The donors are weavers, merchants, stonemasons, and ivory workers who had come from Vidisha. They carve a gateway and they gift that to Sanchi. And on that gateway, they've given an inscription that we are from Sanchi, we are ivory workers, we have carved this and we're donating it to uh, the, temp, uh, the shrine. And the same thing at Nasik, only of the 23 caves, only two are some way associated with royalty. Last point that I want to make is that at Mathura, none of the statues that have been found so far have been associated with royalty. That all the gifts and the donations of ordinary people the Katra steel, uh, steel image of the Buddha is one of the most beautiful images of Matra art. It is given by a lady whose name is given over there. And she says, I'm giving it 
for the benefit of humanity. The Bala Bodhisattva is a gift. It's a huge statue. It is the gift of a bhikshu along with his parents, his teachers and students. So what I want to say in conclusion is that when we read books like this, they are a very important contribution because they provide concrete evidence which goes against the narrative in academics, which is a narrative of religion as a tool of exploitation and religion as a cause of social strife. What we find on the ground is that ordinary people are the contributors, they are the donors, shrines exist alongside, and it is a picture which we can be aware of only when we read works like those by Gurpreet and Bharat. So I want to congratulate them. And I want to say I'm delighted to hold my copy in my hand. And I flip through some pages every day and really wish that I could have produced such a wonderful work. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Menakshiji, for those kind words. And I think uh, for any author who has written a book on this topic to receive that kind of uh, feedback, encouragement, and praise from you is something that uh, they will cherish for a long, long time. I will now uh, request uh, Srimati Shashikala Anandji to, to come up and uh, say a few words. Before that, like always, I wanted to read out a few words about her. And... <clears throat> Uh, Shashikala Anantji holds a degree in architecture from the School of Architecture, Madras University, and she has been researching the classical Indian science of architecture, which is Vastu, for over 40 years. Uh, she was a student of uh, Sri Ganpati Sthapati, a leading authority on the Vastu Shastras, and she was a part of a team that made three decades ago in 1991, the award-winning film, uh, award film uh, Shilpi Speaks that explained the traditions of the sculptor. She has written several books on Vastu, some of which are the Indian tradition of design based on Vastu Shastras, a penguin guide to Vastu and Vastu, a path to harmonious uh, living. She has also uh, written an English translation of uh, Pratim Mamana Laksh Lakshanam, a book on iconometry by uh, Shri Ganpati Sthapati. So she now lives in Kotagiri and she and her husband have set up a meditation center in a small village out of uh, outside of Kotagiri. And they are continuing their work with teaching and training young people on the path of uh, yoga and Vastu. So with that, gives me great delight and honor in inviting uh, Shashikala Anandji to uh, you know, say a few words on the Sthapatis, the guilds and the development. Thank you. Thank you. Namaskaram. <clears throat> it was a great pleasure getting the, um, the manuscript from Gurupreet and uh, Bharat. It was a wonderful read. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, as the other speakers have said, it's an extraordinary effort from a, a first-time writers. But then I also think when you write for the first time, you put in your heart and soul. And so you're more inspired. You get very jaded after the second or the third book. So I think that enthusiasm is there for everybody to uh, read and experience with them. And uh, for those of us who come from Tamil Nadu, I think the 
idea of um, the Pallavas, the Cholas and the Pandyas is the trilogy written by Kalki. It's an unforgettable uh, series, which is what we were all brought up on. So the Pallavas is Shivagami in Sabadam, where the whole experience of Mamalapuram and Kanchipuram has been depicted with the everyday life of the people. And also the whole uh, skirmish with the um, Rashtrakudas and the Vatapi and so on. So there is a, a feeling of both these cultures when you read um, the uh, books uh, of Kalki. And then, of course, the Pandya, which uh, comes in Parthiban uh, Kanavu. Uh, and uh, the, the most famous of all, which is Ponni in Selvan, which is about the Chola kings. So there is a certain uh, vibrancy to this uh, cultural heritage that we sit on. And um, one of the things that I learned in my uh, 10 years with Ganapati Stapti and subsequent years with uh, all the uh, Vishwakarma people I have worked with is that these are a people who have straddled the history of the Indian subcontinent through the various kings and stripes and so on. And they actually moved. They were a guild. And there is a mention of the Shilpi guild in uh, uh, Buddhist Brahmanas and so on. And uh, Kanapati Stapati has talked to me a lot about how they used to move bag and baggage when the next kingdom, the king was more uh, a better patron. They moved there and they uh, did their best for that uh, community there. And uh, I, I totally agree with uh, Meenakshi ji's uh, uh, background about uh, all the uh, various types of buildings for all the dharmas, whether it is Jainism, Buddhism or Hinduism, built by the same people. In fact, Stapati used to make this uh, uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek statement saying that Vishwakarmas are all shaktas by birth. We worship Shakti. We wear the uh, physical uh, uh, characteristics of a Shaivite, Vibhuti and everything. And then we build the temples for a Vishnu devotee. So actually, their capacity to be able to straddle these multiple uh, streams of the Shanmarga was because they had a very strong rooting in the philosophies and the religious systems. They were actually scholars in the Agama Shastra, as well as uh, people who had studied the Vedas. They were also astrologers. So if you look at the uh, tradition of the Vishwakarma, they were actually five groups of people, subgroups, Manu, Maya, Tvashta, Shilpi, and Vishwagnya. So it means that everything that is designed in the environment was actually under their purview. Till, of course, the British educated system took over, they were sidelined, they were completely marginalized. And we English-speaking university uh, educated elite took over design. And we don't design, you see, we put it on paper. And we have workmen doing it for us. But in the tradition, which is what I uh, uh, sent back as a feedback to Gurpreet and Bharat, in the tradition, it was a team effort, starting with the sourcing of the material, which could be the rock from the rock face and taking it to the uh, building site, which means 
by bullock carts or being dragged by elephants, whatever. It was taken to the site. And after that, the cutting of the material, then the building of the structure, finishing, and then the final eye opening of the uh, sculpture. Everything is the same community. So the capacity to look at that material and see the beauty of the hidden sculpture within it or the hidden temple within it and to be able to finally enliven it because the eye opening is a symbolic way of bringing the divine energy into the earth. And this whole process is a remarkable journey. And today's architecture is completely divested of this amazing spirituality. And it's something that I've been fighting for for 40 years to bring it back so that people can study this and actually they can embody because the Vishukarma community, the most beautiful part of the Parampara Siksha is that the child embodies. It is not sitting here in the top of the head as a cerebral piece of information. Their hands are crafting it. Their emotions, like the Stapati was telling me, there are times when he has made something very beautiful and he has to part from it. He actually used to weep because it becomes such a part of themselves, such a part of their physical body and an extension of their heart. So this uh, entire process of the Vishwakarma, which is, I think, a remarkable story that ought to be highlighted rather than the kings who patronized. They were only the patronized uh, patrons. They were the money bags, as we call it today. They opened their treasury for this action to take place. In fact, temples were supposed to have been the people's contribution. All the people were involved, the local people were involved in the temple. So they also offered, as uh, Meenakshi Ji was saying, and uh, 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 earlier speakers have been speaking about it, there is a contribution, even if it is a small amount, by every member of that particular space. And when a temple is being built, it is also important to remember that a story, a narrative is created. Even if it is not a, um, an, a narrative that goes back hundreds of years, even if it's a current day narrative of a family or a, uh, or a vision that somebody saw or a dream or whatever, that is brought into that space. It is anchored into that space so that there would be a link between the people and the actual action of that temple being built there. And of course, the styles, a lot of data being pushed around by uh, historians about the styles. The style actually is an evolutionary process. When the craftspeople, when the artisans, when the sculptors, when the uh, artists learned to use the stone, learned to use the brick in more and more sensitive, more and more skilled ways, you evolved a new style. It has nothing to do with historical dating of, you know, 300 was this style and 500 was, it was not like that. It is the capacity like, for example, when I make drawings as an architect, there is a certain kind of drawing that I can make when I have had two, three years of experience. As today, after 40 years of experience, I can actually see the whole design in my head. 
and my pencil does it in five minutes. I don't use the computer at all. I never learned it. I don't want to learn it. For me, it's always the pencil on a sketch pad. So for, for that ability to translate it, it requires maybe a half a day for me. What would have taken me maybe several weeks as a youngster. So this movement or evolution of your skill set. And here we are not talking about one person's skill set. We are talking about a team. Because, for, uh, for example, a tem temple of the stature, of the size, of magnitude of Brihadishwara temple in Tanjavur to have been built required the, the involvement of over 3,000 people. So today, I think as a management study, it is a remarkable effort. How did they manage to feed 3,000 people? Where did they house them? So all this needs to be looked at. Apparently, there was a whole township of uh, blacksmiths who were supplying the metal needed for the work. Every chisel has to be sent back to the forge after one hour. It loses its uh, edge. So can you imagine a thousand workers and their chisels, the sizes of the forges, which were actually re-sharpening these metals. How many of them would have got broken? Which means new ones were being made. So we are talking about a technical factory out there. Right? And this whole foolish theory that they are bringing in, that they had a three-kilometer long ramp on which the stones were being rolled. Those of you who are who know your basic engineering, if you're building a structure, which is at an angle, which is what your temple uh, uh, vimana is, and they are actually uh, without any mortar. The stone is being placed one above the other on self-weight, and the middle is a hollow, right? If you hit a, a three-kilometer long ramp, which is going to be 208 feet, tall, which is the height of the Vimana, this will break. It cannot stand the force of this. It is engineered, it's an engineering fallacy. There is no way an unstable structure can take the weight of this uh, ramp. Actually, what happens in the tradition, nobody asked the traditionalist. This is, this is why we made that film, A Shilpi Speaks. For the first time, Ashilpi has spoken. Historians have come with their theories. Translators in, from Samskritam to English have come up with their theories. Nobody talked to the Vishwakarma. And they have a tradition of building stone temples that are mortar-free joints, which is called the Sahara Kat Suvar, which means a scaffolding wall. So what they did was, this is the size of your temple. Or let me take, this is the size of your temple, okay? The width of the base into three would be the size of the scaffolding wall that will go around the temple. And it will embrace the structure and it's made of mud with some uh, stone pieces. Huh? And this wall, the scaffolding wall, 
will go up with the temple. The center, which is an empty space, will get filled up with river sand. So at every level, they got a platform, three times the size of the width of the base, on which the biggest stone pieces were kept. And there would be a spiral staircase around this, on which the smaller pieces were carried by the workmen. And the big ones will keep going up. The topmost, the, the famous uh, uh, shikara of Brihadishura temple, everybody says, such a big piece, how did they bring? You cannot roll such a big piece on a ramp, on, an, uh, on a uh, structure like this. It is not possible. What happened was it was placed on the structure, on this, and it would be moved. As this was built, it would be moved. And they will be moving it with a crowbar. I don't know whether you have seen how they move with a short crowbar. It's only about four and a half feet uh, long. And the stone will jump. I have seen them doing it. They knew exact fulcrum of the uh, piece. They knew exactly how to cut a, a stone um, a, a quarry how to cut so that the stones will come out with the least uh, uh, effort. They don't have to bang at it. So they would create these small holes into which the wedges are driven and then water is poured into it. The wedge ex expands. It's a wooden wedge and slowly the stone will part. They had fantastic, simple technology. And how did they create the lovely surface of the stone? They used green leaves paste. I saw them doing it. We, I uh, saw them going through the uh, building of a stone temple in uh, uh, near Velour. They would use a green paste and the moment you uh, add a paste, a thick paste, it will settle into the crevices and then it will leave the pieces that are slightly unfinished on top. Then you cut it again. You plane it again, you plane it again, and then finally you get this beautiful glossy surface. Very simple, extremely sensible uh, technology. And if you look at the, uh, the casting of the metal, as in uh, uh, the, the, the famous uh, um, uh, Nataraja that you can see in Koneri Rajapuram, it's eight and a half feet, including the pedestal largest Nataraja that was made of at that time, and we are talking about 9th century AD, and the size of the kiln that would have been needed for such a uh, task to be done, even today, Sapati says, I can't do it today, because it requires a technology of such high order. And I don't know how many of you have seen that Konere Rajapuram Nataraja. The, the, the golden hue of the face is remarkable. Because of, uh, uh, they actually did add gold, high uh, level, levels of copper and uh, uh, enough gold to give that extraordinary luster to the face. This quality of the lost wax process requires a technology of a very high order. So for us today, not to recognize the technical expertise, the technological and scientific uh, uh, data needed, to know when the melting of each of the metals took place. Because the panchaloha is a combination of zinc, tin, uh, copper, gold, and silver. 
right? And the brass was used instead of copper sometimes. But the brass is also a combination material, right? So to know when each of them will melt, you're talking about a technology of a very advanced level. So today we are completely forgetting about all this. The quality of that metal is something else. And I, in our film, we have shown how they do the casting and what is the quality of the metal that they are using. And they are still doing it in, the, in their backyard, in their house. Uh, with dogs and cattle and everything, you know, because it's such a simple technology. And I think today we need to awaken this capacity of touching this amazing capability skill within ourselves and to work as teams. Because this team efficiency is something I think India has completely lost. Today, all of us are pulling in various directions there are no efficient teams because everybody wants to be on top. I also, as a, my second profession is management uh, training. And I tell you, it's a terrible situation. So this, I think all this is something that we need to study in greater detail. And I'm seriously hoping Bharat and Gurpreet can write a sequel which talks about the technology and uh, which talks about how these uh, communities can bring back their skills into the mainstream and be recognized for it. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Shishikala Ji, for your uh, words. And uh, it is incredibly sad at one level to learn and to get to know about all the things that we knew at one point we lost and Equally tragic is the realization that our mental, our process of decolonization that should have begun in 1947 still remains a, a journey that is yet to take its first step. Uh, but let's um, uh, move on to uh, our next honored speaker, a guest of honor, and uh, gives me again great pleasure in inviting Shimati Chitra Madhunji. But before that, I will say a few words about her. So she has a doctorate in ancient history and archaeology. She is the recipient of two postdoctoral fellowships, and she has published nine books, uh, History and Culture of Tamil Nadu in two volumes, Vishnu Temples of South India in five volumes, Sanskrit Education and Literature in Ancient and Medieval Tamil Nadu, uh, and uh, an Epigraphical Study, and Temples of Kanchipuram. She has also co-edited a book, South India Heritage, which contains 500 articles in various aspects of South India's heritage and culture. Uh, and she has edited a book on Kalakshetra sculpture, which contains 20 articles on iconography by well-known authors on the subject. And she conducts regularly conducts heritage tours to places of historical and archaeological significance in okay. India and abroad. So, uh, Chitraji, it gives me great pleasure to invite you uh, to share a few words with uh, all of us. It's a great pleasure being with all of you here this evening. Uh, what a wonderful book it is uh, that is in front of me right here now. And many, many congratulations to the two authors. They have worked very hard and produced an excellent book, lovely text, great photographs. And I'm sure many people are going to benefit uh, reading this book. 
and uh, hopefully be inspired to go to these heritage sites. So if they have already been to the heritage sites and, and have not understood them properly, this book will do them a lot of uh, help. Um, so, you know, I've been asked to talk about the evolution of uh, temple architecture uh, among the Pallavas and the Chalukyas. I can only give it in uh, a spoonful. It's, it's too vast a subject, it's too precious a subject to be shared in a couple of minutes. But, but we all know that the Pallavas and the Chalukyas really, really hated each other. There were so many wars well documented in the inscriptions and sometimes in literature also. So Pulikeshan attacked the capital city, Kanchipuram of Mahendra Varman Pallava. His son, Narsuma Varman Pallava, retaliated and um, raised Badhami, and he took on the title Vatapi Kundan, Victor Vatapi. Which, which uh, Biruda, which title is not engraved in uh, Badami, ancient Vatapi? As most people erroneously think, it is there in Tamil Nadu, uh, in a um, hill shrine. It's a cave temple of his time, Nasuma Bhagman's time. It's there in Tamil Nadu, this title Vatapikunda. And then it went back and forth and back and forth, the wars with each side winning sometimes. Uh, and it went on. But look at the influence each culture had on the other. I mean, copying imitation is the best form of flattery. So the cave temples of the Chalukyas, as we know in Badami and in Aihole, are amazing, really amazing. Yeah? We, we don't have enough adjectives to actually describe those cave temples, which are of sandstone. Especially the ones in Badami are stupendous. And the Pallava cave temples happened a little later. Um, but then we have to remember they are smaller in size. They are perhaps not as intricate in design as the ones in the Chalukyan country, but these are of granite, the ones in the Pallava country. And after the Mauryan uh, caves, it was the Pallavas that did it in granite. In between, there were no granite cave temples in India, not in Ashanta, not in Elora, not in the Chalukyan country. It was left to the Pallava and North Tamil Nadu to design cave temples out of uh, granite. And we know that this uh, King Mahendra Varman of the 7th century was completely versatile. He was a Sanskritam scholar, he was a poet, he was a, a, he was a painter, he had the title Chitrakara Puli as well. And um, he had another title, another Biruda, Vichitra Chitta, which means unique-minded. And in this cave temple of his, probably his first, in a village, now a village called Mandakapattu, um, about maybe three hours from Chennai, he has this, had engraved this verse in Sanskritam, in the Grantha script, Etad, Anishtikam, Adrumam, Alokam, Ashudam, Vichitra Chittena Nirmapitam, Nirpena, Brahmeshwara Vishnu, Lakshita, Yatanam. It was for Brahma, Ishwara, and Shiva. But look at that beauty of it, Etad, this. Anishtikam, Ishta is brick without brick, Adruma without wood, Aloha without metal, Ashuda without mortar. I've done this without, 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 meaning it's of stone. And that was the poet uh, that he was. So while the cave temples of the Pallavas came after the cave temples of the Chalukyas, in, in one of the many, many wars that were fought between the Pallavas and the Chalukyas, Chalukya Vikramaditya visits Kanchipuram in the 8th century 
and um, he chases this king nandivarman the second pallava malla out of kanchipuram and as he is going through the city he sees this wonderful wonderful temple called the kailasanatha temple which at that point of time was called rajasimheshwara since it was constructed in the time of rajasimha pallava a little before vikramaditya invaded kanchipuram he didn't touch anything in kanchipuram he fell in love with this uh, temple and he wanted something exactly like it to be constructed in patadakka his famous city in the chandukyan country and there is now the virupaksha temple originally the lokeshwara temple as his wife lokamadevi had sponsored the building of that shrine and there are so many common features between the kailasanatha and the uh, virupaksha temple in uh, patadakka incidentally there was this institution this education institution called the ghatika in kanchipuram and according to this very great scholar of pallava history dr c meenakshi the very first lady to get her doctorate uh, from the madras university she mentions that after the kailasanatha temple was built in all likelihood this uh, ghatika this great educational vedic center of learning functioned in the premises of the kailasanatha temple and when vikramaditya chalukya came to kanchipuram and having fallen in love with the kailasanatha temple made a donation to this ancient uh, shrine he mentions in an inscriptions that is that is still there in the temple he says as an imprecatory verse right at the end he says those who dare to destroy the charity that i have thus given will go to a certain hell which people who have killed men of this gatika would go to meaning the people of the scholars of the gatika were held in such great esteem esteem that if anybody thought of you know harming them the hell that they would go to would be a supreme hell and that is the hell that people who touched his charity would go to so we have that uh, kannada inscription still visible very much there in fact on a pillar in a mantapa in the kailasanatha temple and it is in that mantapa that dr c meenakshi states the the ghatika actually uh, function and then we have in the pallava country sri um, uh, mahendra varman probably in the court of his father or grandfather simha vishnuvasimha varman a very great poet called bharavi who was there the author of the kirata arjuniyam and uh, subsequently the kiratanjuniyam became so famous in the pallava country that there is a sculpture in the kailasanatha temple of arjuna and shiva fighting just before arjuna receives the pashupatastra from god shiva now bharavi's name had spread through the length and breadth of south india it seems because a chalukyan poet of the time of pulakeshin the second ravikirti mentions it in his inscription in aikole right on top of that hilak and aikole he he compares himself with the greatness of kalidasa and of bharavi so this is the kind of intermingling of culture that was there between the, the pallavas and the chalukyas fight they may oh yes they fought long and hard but the mixing of these cultural elements be it literature be it language be it architecture be it sculptures and these these temples are repositories of what have you as dr sashikala anthan has just mentioned you know the technology used in the building of these temples is is awesome 
Yes, the Pallavas in Tamil Nadu started with stone. The Chalukyas did start with stone. Their temples are very much smaller than the later temples, which became grander and grander. Yes, but the blueprint was laid by the Pallavas and their contemporaries, the Pandyas in the Tamil country, and by the Chalukyas in, in their uh, region. So the legacy that they have left behind is immense. And I'm, I'm afraid, um, you know, the lay person hasn't yet invite that, that spirit that is there by way of architecture and sculpture and literature in India. We have a long, long way to go by way of instilling this kind of heritage consciousness in our school children so that they will grow up to be admirers of all the heritage, rich, very glorious heritage that we have. And I feel that this book written by these two authors is going to go a very, very long way in filling that gap to a great extent. And hoping to see many, hoping to read many, many books from you both. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chitraji, for your uh, comments and your and your words of encouragement for the authors. I think uh, getting uh, validation, endorsement, and encouragement uh, from uh, authorities in their respective fields, I think, is the best uh, 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 you know, it is one of the best feelings for uh, authors and I'm sure Gurpreet and uh, Bharat uh, will take away a lot of uh, encouragement from your, or your and everyone else's kind words. I will now move on to our next distinguished guest uh, of honor. And uh, this is Srimati uh, 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 Vasundra Ji. And I'll say a few words before I invite her to share her thoughts uh, with all of us. She's a historian, epigraphist, and iconographist, and the author of several works, such as uh, Hampi Vijayanagar, The Temple of Vithal, uh, Kalamukh and Pashupat te uh, Temples in Dharwar, the Shaiva Monuments at uh, Pattadakal. And she has been working on the history of Karnataka for almost five decades now. And she has worked on several temple sites in Karnataka, including the famous uh, Hampi, Badami, Pattadakal, Mukteshwar, uh, and the Kalmuk temples. And she was born in uh, Haveri in the Tharwar district. And she studied uh, history, Indian epigraphy and French at Karnataka, at Karnataka University. And uh, she uh, went on a scholarship to study theater in France. And after studying uh, theater for two years, she returned to history, did her PhD from the Sorbonne University in Paris. Uh, Vasundraji, it is my honor and uh, privilege to invite you to share a few words with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for thinking of me and inviting me to speak something about it, about the book. And unfortunately, I have to speak about something. The book, I have not seen it. And I don't know what is the matter in it. So I'll be making, uh, kindly excuse me if I make some general remarks on the subject. And uh, first of all, I'll start saying that uh, the, the history of Karnataka, it is written, whether it is Chalukyas or Vijayanagara or any other subject, mostly it is written on chronicles and uh, uh, hearsay accounts and uh, later literary sources instead of, I'm an epigraphist, so I depend more upon epigraphic data for writing a history. Uh, and this subject is very much, the epigraphy is very much neglected in India, in, in, the, in India in general, and in Karnataka also. So the, the youngsters, what I advise them is to set aside 
all that is done about the history first and then re go to the inscriptions and uh, the contemporaneous literature literary sources to rewrite the history of any state for that matter whether it is karnataka or tamil nadu or anything instead of repeating whatever previous people have said and for studying this you know, history of you know, history of any state first of all we should study religious conditions of the period religious for religious conditions it's very difficult for that time because we don't have many sources because the religion that was very much popular from north to south and east to west was lakula shaiva this religion has not been studied much and for studying lakula shaiva shaivism we have we don't have many sources here and there we do get but we have to search for them and most of the, 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 the important sources sources are uh, epigraphs and uh, monuments so we have to study these uh, monuments and uh, the inscription uh, the when we study monuments we have to look, look, keep in mind this uh, what epigraphy inscriptions give us information about the temple and uh, for example i uh, tell you for this patadakal we have worked i have i have worked with my husband on patadakal temples and there are many wrong interpretations about the patadakal temple and uh, wrong interpretation of inscriptions fleet was the first to uh, publish those inscriptions we should congratulate him for doing it but unfortunately he had given many wrong interpretations for example the first one i tell you that uh, 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 the uh, uh, we have worked on uh, these temples and i speak especially about this uh, lokeshwara temple that is virupaksha temple somebody mentioned you have mentioned i think uh, virupaksha temple in patadakal and uh, the, there is uh, in the inscriptions it is said that uh, gundan the, the tenkana dishe sutradhari and the, the fleet interpreted it as tenkana dishe means the, the, the south karnataka is also in the south but for him tenkana the, the tenkana means the, the south means tamil nadu and he said that uh, since vikramaditya he conquered pallavas he brought the, the artists from the tamil nadu from kanchipuram and they they built this temple but it's not correct because first of all gundan is a typical typical of kannada word kannada name you don't have you don't get gundan in tamil nadu inscriptions tamil inscriptions and uh, the in another uh, and the dakshina the tenkana dishe sutradhari dishe means here he interpreted that as the direction from south so, so from southern direction but dishe has another meaning also and that is style he the that is the sutradhari means the important architect in the south indian style and many people think that uh, lokeshwara temple is a copy of kailasnatha temple no it is not true because when kailasnatha temple was built by rasina there his contemporary vijayaditya who was worth no, no who was ruling over no, 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 karnataka from badami and he built a temple to vijayeshwara and both are in south indian temples uh, south indian styles so they are the first two temples in 
south in, in karnataka and tamil nadu they are in south indian style we can say and from that time it was introduced and when already that south indian style is introduced in karnataka and in the chalukyan empire why should that lady uh, the, that uh, queen loka mahadevi should bring artists from tamil nadu to, and tamil nadu to build the temples and we should also remember that uh, this tamil nadu uh, this uh, perhaps there was only was some one school and these artists were trained in that school and some went to tamil nadu and some came to karnataka and they built the temples in the same style we should take it in the global view we have to take and not saying that they were in wars and they were and uh, she is the i like very much the saying of shri shivaram murthy that of course wars are war, when wars are fought, no fought negative there are many negative aspects but the positive aspect is internal exchange of heritage and culture in between the two of the kingdoms vanquished and the vanquished so this is also was there and when we study these karnataka uh, uh, sorry uh, these karnataka tem- temples in karnataka at least uh, i have not studied in detail the kailasnatha temple but since i have studied uh, the temples in uh, karnataka and especially the chalukyan temples both badami and kalyan chalukya temples what i have noticed is that there is a lot of influence of the lakula shaiva religion and what is this lakula shaiva religion is the silaga shiva comes with a laguda in his hands and he preaches he imparts the principles of shaivism there and uh, the main principle of that shaivism is that all gods are one they are all emanated from shiva so you should not make any difference difference between shiva vishnu and brahma surya etc so this he he preached and that became very popular in karnataka and in south india and so in this the lakula shaiva religion there were four to four parts four to sections pashupata kalamukha kaula and kapalika kaula and kapalika were from in the north north of india north india and kalamukha pashupata they come to the south and kalamukha pashupata they followed this vedic system whereas there it was tantric vedic and veda and agamas were followed here in in the south and especially in karnataka so so when you study patadakal temples or kalyan chalukya temples you should know the principles of kalamukha and pashupata religions and then you study and since the, 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 the for this uh, kalamukha and pashupata shiva is the main god and for uh, since shiva is very difficult to be realized with a naked eye so the, the sada shiva comes in, in, uh, there and sada shiva has five faces and the, those five the, the, each face is turned to one direction and each face has a different function if it is uh, no, no east it is tatpurusha and if you uh, no, go to the south it is uh, no aghora murti and if it is west it's uh, no sajojata and to the north it is uh, vamadeva and vamadeva is very handsome person so that's like this and uh, aghora is terrific 
So when you study this temple, you will notice that to the east, all Tatpurusha uh, is magnificent. And so to the east, you will have all magnificent uh, personality of Shiva and Vishnu. They did not make any difference between uh, Shiva and Vishnu. So in all these temples, we find the images of Shiva as well as Vishnu, Brahma and others. So to the east, you will have Tatpurusha, that is magnificent personality of Nataraja and uh, the type of Vishnu is the uh, no, no, Trivikramamurti, etc. And when you come to the, the south, you will uh, see all these Aghora Murti, Aghora no, fighting scenes. The no, Shiva fight, no, the, no, no, killing Anakasura or Vishnu, the tearing the stomach of uh, no, no, uh, Narasimha, etc. And uh, no, fight, no, Rama fighting with uh, no, no, Ravana, all these, uh, no, or Ravana fighting with Jatayu, these scenes. You know. But when you go to the west, it is Sadyojata. It is identical with Brahma. So all serene images. And when you go to the north side, it is Vamadeva. Handsome personality of Shiva like Bhikshatana Murti or Ardhanarishwara Murti, Harihara Murti. So like this, you have to study these temples in Pattadakal. Sorry, any temples of Chalukyan temples. Whether it is called no. Badami, Vatapi Chalukya, or the Kalyan Chalukya temples. And later on, it changes. That's a different thing. When you come to Vijayanagara period, it changes. So till then, you should study like this. And when you enter these temples, there you have to be very, very alert because to study these temples, it's not enough if you know, if you have a knowledge of uh, only the Puranas and uh, Purana, Maharana, Itihasa, that is Ramayana and Mahabharata. You should also know the literature and uh, especially for these uh, Chalukyan temples and Badami, Patadakal, you should know also uh, Bharata's Natya Shastra. And apart from, uh, apart from the uh, Bharata's Natya Shastra and uh, Brahmatri uh, Shastra and uh, that no, 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 Puranas, and you should also have the knowledge of literature, Sanskrit literature. Well, the, that time, the, no, during Kalyan Chalukya, no, no, Badami Chalukya, Kannada literature was not yet no, no, developed. So, uh, the you know, people in the, no, Badami and no, whatever in no, Chalukyan Empire, they were very much familiar with no, Kalidasa and Bharavi's works. So when you go to the, especially I give you some examples of uh, 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 what is this uh, Lokeshwara Temple in, uh, in uh, Patadakala. in Patadakala and also in Badami Cave. In Badami Cave, in the third, in the fourth, the third cave, you have a bracket figure. Parvati is completely drunk, and Shiva is holding her tenderly. You can't find any reference in any of the Puranas for this one. You have to see what the Kalidasa's uh, uh, Kumara Sambhava. In the eighth Sarga, Shiva, uh, uh, Kalidasa writes that uh, the uh, Vanadevi, uh, Savita Devi, uh, the goddess of uh, forest, she gives uh, the nectar of uh, uh, Kalpavriksha to Shiva. And he takes tenderly 
Parvati on his laps and he makes her drink that, uh, no, 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 that liquor and she becomes completely drunk. And as a result, she was about to fall, fall down and Shiva holds her tenderly and puts her on the uh, crystal bed. So for the, the, you, if you read that one and you will feel that uh, the beauty of that one and how that uh, poet had, uh, the, the sculptor had, uh, was able to interpret this idea on a stone. You will enjoy both the sculpture and also uh, the, uh, the text, Kalidasa. And there is another one in Patadakal in Virupaksha temple. Yeah, at the entrance, you have always uh, no, these um, uh, goddesses, uh, river goddesses, uh, no, Ganga and Yamuna. And uh, no, in, all, in almost all the temples all over India, the Ganga and Yamuna, they are, uh, no, no, they are standing in a human form because they were, they were goddesses. They take a human form. And the, somebody who has umbrella or chauri, etc., chauri bearers are there. But in the Lokeshwara temple, that's Durupaksha temple, on the door jams, you have uh, the, the Ganga and Yamuna, and the Chauris uh, are represented, but nobody holds it. That was one lady who worked on the river goddesses in the temples, and she said, only in this temple, nobody holds that Chauris, I don't know who is. And for this, again, you have to read Kalidasa's Kumara Sambhava, in that, when the Shiva's, the, 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 the Shiva's the, the, was getting married, that the, the procession, the, the, all the gods and goddesses, the, the, the procession goes to the, the Himalaya. And while go, going, this goddess the, the Yamuna and the, uh, Yamuna and uh, Ganga, they take the human form and they also go. And the, the such Amare, Poet says they came up, Sir Chamare. They were with Chamara. But he doesn't say who holds it. He doesn't precisely say who is holding it. And that's Sir Chamare that the artist had represented it on the door jumps of that temple. Nobody holding that. So, like this, you have to know the if you know the text, you will enjoy more the, the beauty and the intricacies of thoughts in those sculptures. And uh, I'll give you another one. I said Bharatanda Natya Shastra. And for Natya Shastra, rasas are important. And this rasa, sculptors have been able to reproduce it in stone. Rasa runs like this, but in stone they have frozen, they have held it frozen. And uh, for example, I'll give you one uh, example. Um, on one of the pillars, there's a scene of Mahabharata. You must be knowing that you have seen it, Mahabharata. And in the central of the, no, no, there are three panels on the no, top, uh, the Dharmaraja and uh, the Duryodhana, they are playing dice. And one of them uh, loses and the other one laughs. And that fellow, no, the, no, how he laughs, the, there are four ways of laughing. If he's a no, person, no, 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 royal personality, so, no, no, and then the king like this, and that's it, he should only smile. And if he's a demon, he should give attahasa, he should laugh now. And that attahasa, the, the, the Duryodhana, how he gives attahasa life, laughter, that 
ಸಫರಿಂಗ್ but still she is there so this is adbhuta rasa how you get adbhuta rasa and uh, then uh, 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 krishna asks him to uh, give, uh, give some discourse on uh, dharma and uh, bhishma he gives a uh, he makes a discourse he speaks about dharma and that it is shown that he is in the vakhyana mudra that is he speaking and this is shantaru shantara says that and they are listening to him four brothers sitting or standing there and so and it is in the battlefield that is bibhatsain bhayanaka rasa that he has been able to represent this one so if you know and in the, the lowest panel the the uh, this uh, duryodhana is hiding in the water of vaishampayana and the uh, the krishna tells bhima to provoke him so that he will come out of the water and you can fight so how bhima is shouting it is so loud but how to show it that one so bhima is shouting and like this and dharmaraj says be calm be calm please take this so like this and then of course virarasa both are fighting and in on the other panel there is a kiratarjuna scene and of course to the kiratarju in the kiratarjuna the first shiva doesn't come uh, this uh, arjuna fights with uh, skanda the son of shiva and that also she seen and when the, the, the skanda cannot face him shiva comes and in the center of the panel both the arjuna and uh, uh, arjuna and shiva they are fighting fist to fist like this so and both are sitting on one another and fighting so that also represents that this is the union of jivatma and paramatma this also is represented and the bharavi says when they were giving the, the blow to one another it was so, so loud that as if the, the rocks are cracking in a cave this you have to show it but how will you show it the poet he had used the intelligence he had brought parvati and she uh, sorry not poet the sculptor he had used his imagination and when the shiva and arjuna they are fighting parvati is standing there and she could not stand that loud noise so she puts her hands on the ears so so these things if you know the text and if you know that now if you see these uh, sculptures then you will enjoy much better so for that i what uh, my advice is i'm sorry i have not seen your books i'm very eager to see your book i'll hopefully i'll be in india on monday this monday and you can send the book to me to my address in my sir and i'll be very happy to read your book and if i have to say something and i'll be in my sir for four five months you can come and see me if you want to if you want to it's not an obligation you can and we can have a discussion more discussion and since i'm already a old lady 
Yeah, it's you to take the, the, the relay and do the work, much more work. And for that, my advice is to go directly to the original sources. Don't depend upon what the, the, the X, Y, Z, they have said, X has said, Z, this, the Y had said that one. And you don't take any other media in that. You go directly and give your own opinions and that will be your original contribution to our Indian history and our Indian history will, our India will shine much better because I stay here in in France and I see how Indian Indians and Indian history is misinterpreted here. So you give them some good knowledge, original knowledge. So for that, you read inscriptions and contemporaneous sources, the literary works which were published in those days, that time. And also uh, the other uh, no, 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 this Purana and Itihasa, all these things. And in Ramayana, there is only no, there is no, no, not only Balmiki Ramayana, there are so many versions of Ramayana. So you should see all those Ramayanas, all those Mahabharatas, and some local the, the legends were current, and what was that you should see, and then but don't take don't take uh, the, the fiction for facts. See that you judge what is fiction and what is fact and you write history. This is my advice to youngsters. Thank you for inviting me. And sorry, I cannot, I cannot say anything about your book. I'm eager to see this book. Please, please excuse me if I have not said anything about it. And I'm very happy that the youngsters are going to Badami, Patadakal, and they are working because when I started working, there were no books. So I had to go directly, and there was only one small guide by uh, Anigiri on the, the Patadkal temples. So that helped me a lot to write to, the, to continue my work. So now I'm happy that others are getting interested. You can, and as long as I'm alive, I'm happy to help uh, help you because I'm already 83 years old. So I don't know how long I will stay. So please come. You can you can always contact me and help you. Okay. And thanks for, and congratulations for thinking of working on Karnataka temples. You are the new Bandri. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vasundaraji. Your words of uh, uh, encouragement to the authors is so greatly appreciated. And uh, the blessings of the seniors uh, never goes in vain. Now, uh, once you are back in India, uh, we will send you a copy of uh, uh, the book by okay. Gurpreet and Bharat to your uh, India address. So, and, and uh, you know, we look forward to your views and opinions on the book and I'm sure Gurpreet and Bharat will be more than, uh, you know, willing, happy to engage with you, come and, uh, you know, have discussions with you. So thank you thank again you so happy. much for your kind words. Yeah, thank you for inviting me and kindly excuse me. I have spoken something about what I know, but I couldn't say anything about the book and about Pallavas also, I am not an authority. Already many others have spoken about it. So I don't Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Sindraji. Namaskar. And lastly, but not the least, in our special guests of honor who have agreed and, uh, and spoken so far, I, I, it gives me great honor and pleasure to now introduce and invite our last guest, which is uh, Deepa Swamiji. So, uh, Dr. Deepa, she holds degrees in engineering management, 
which is uh, the usual run of the mill which a lot of uh, uh, you know indians go towards but after spending uh, more than 15 years in brand strategy and innovation with the global companies uh, she her her desire to understand the agamas and make them more accessible for a modern audience is what led her to a to an interdisciplinary phd on temple management in the agamas at the department of sanskrit at the university of uh, uh, of madras and this has now been published as a book by indic academy and under the same name she has taught an introductory course on uh, shaiva siddhanta at the department of uh, shaiva siddhanta university of madras and she teaches a course on temple management on the indica courses platform so with that i request uh, deepa ji to come and share a few words uh, with us thank you thank you abhina shri gurudev namaha i'm so overwhelmed as i'm sure many of you are uh, at uh, you know uh, such amazing uh, you know talks by these uh, uh, stalwarts and uh, as they say agamam shiva vaktrebhya gatanchu girida girija mukhe matantu shiva bhaktanam tasmat agamam cheti katyate they say that uh, when uh, lord shiva revealed the agamas it was first revealed to devi girija mukhe it first went to girija and from her as the mother uh, it, it came to the world so as i uh, see this panel at at all these eminent women it looks like uh, you know the beauty of temples and history and architecture and uh, you know indic knowledge uh, all these women um, on the panel today holding forth it really seems like girija mukhe we are getting uh, you know knowledge and especially vasundhara ji shatakoti uh, pranams to you at uh, it was like a small history class that we sat sat in on so we are all blessed uh, today uh i uh, it it is like a it is like a dream come true to share the uh, stage with uh, you know my personal heroes like you know dr chitra madhavan dr minakshi jain uh, and uh, so on and i think that's the magic of indic academy i indic academy published my uh, thesis on uh, temple management in agamas so actually i uh, last year when i wanted to publish the thesis only because i thought it was relevant there was a lot of conversation happening around temple management and i thought uh, in some way this might help uh, you know uh, uh, contribute to the conversation uh, i went to a lot of traditional publishers and the the scene today is that uh, the author uh, uh, pays the printer to cover the cost of publishing and uh, then the printer uh, the publisher you know puts it across uh, to the libraries that is the model and uh, you know because the idea is nobody buys thesis i mean who buys academic books in any case but uh, my sense was i am already an outsider to uh, uh, academics and you know this whole indic culture I, i only got in because i truly i wanted to study it and i came from a different tradition altogether and uh, i called up dr chitra madhavan who's so generous in spite of all her schedule she's only a call away for students she helped me a lot during my thesis she brought her books to the library and gave it so i could refer so i mean the sheer generosity and uh, uh, as a guru you know you, you want to share your knowledge so she said this is the scene in india and uh, uh, i got sponsorship for my uh, thesis publication so maybe you can try for sponsors because my whole thing was uh, the uh, when you pay for publication does that reflect on your credibility that was my worry 
So out of a whim, I had uh, participated in the Himalayan writing retreat and there was an Indic Academy scholarship and I'd applied for it and I got it and I went. Uh, uh, Dr. Meenakshi Jain, uh, I also contributed a short story to your Flight of Deities anthology. I was so inspired by your book that, uh, you know, I just had to write the story of uh, Meenakshi and, you know, that workshop also helped. So I said, why not contact, uh, you know, Indic Academy? I just went to the website. I had no other connection except, you know, I'm a general admirer of the work that they do. I picked up uh, Hariji's email address from there. I just wrote a mail saying, you know, I did this thesis and I would like to publish it. Do you think you might be interested? So he immediately wrote back with his uh, number. He said, let's talk. The next day we spoke, I just rattled off saying, I'm so excited, Chaivagama's temples. He listened to me for 20 minutes. He said, let's do it. And the next day he mailed the printer. And that's it, it was done. I mean, I have never, in my years of corporate experience with all these, you know, uh, uh, decision-making and all that, I have never seen such quick uh, decision-making. There is absolute no-nonsense, there's complete heart. Um, the Agamas, again, I quote, Mrigendra Agama says, Chaitanyam Drikriya Rupam. It's vision and action. So, uh, uh, you know, one can see that uh, vision and action uh, in reality uh, here. I should also mention uh, Dimple G. I teach a course on uh, Indica courses as, you know, on, on uh, the same book. Immediately talking to her is like, uh, uh, you know, like getting charged by a lightning bolt, uh, lift you up from your own self-doubt and all that to a place where, you know, they energize you to actually contribute. You are in a, a place where you're only thinking about now, how do I, uh, you know, contribute, which is the, uh, you know, best place to be. So I congratulate you, uh, both Bharat and Gulpreet. I'm, I'm, uh, I uh, got your book. Thank you. And it is amazing. It's beautiful. I cannot say any more than what these uh, awesome scholars have said. But uh, I just want to add a couple of points to those who are listening. Uh, uh, Dr. Meenakshi said this, uh, it, it, uh, the temples are the heritage of the whole land. It's not just the kings who made it or, you know, the whole idea that it was just those in power. But why? Why did people, why did everybody love the temple? Because the Agama says, Sarvesham Rakshanarthaya Gramadishu Visheshata. So this is for the protection of the village. This is for everybody. Sarvesham, the vision, uh, the vision of, uh, you know, the whole uh, the philosophical construct. Everything, the, uh, the temple is the yantra, the tantra was the agama and the mantra was, you know, what the acharya said. It was a working system. It was like an advanced working system towards one goal, towards harnessing the spirituality and, you know, uh, uh, sort of accelerating the process of moksha, both bhukti as well as mukti. Be prosperous, be happy where you are, as well as, you know, um, our uh, uh, the purusharthas of dharmaksha, artha kama moksha, pushing everybody towards, uh, you know, moksha through whatever philosophical system, be it uh, uh, the uh, Lakula Pashapata systems in Karnataka or, uh, you know, the Shaiva Siddhanta systems across the country. And uh, it's very interesting that uh, Bhatta Ramakantha, for example, in Kashmir, he wrote a vritti on uh, the Kiranagama. There is a fallacy that, you know, because all these beautiful temples are in the south, Shaivagamas, Shaivism was in the south, Siddhanta was in the south, it was all over the country. So in Kashmir, when Bhattaramakanta wrote his Kiranavritti in the 10th century, Aghore Shivacharya quotes from him when he is writing from Sirgari in Tamil Nadu. He quotes from him in his uh, you know works of uh, Aghore Shivacharya uh, Pathati. So this was really uh, a beautiful, uh, uh, you know, like many of the scholars have said, it was a beautiful 
merging of ideas sharing of ideas it was a you know uh, it, it was a brilliant vibrant uh, intellectual creative spiritual uh, environment which is uh, our legacy and especially those from the north when you look at this book and when you look at all these beautiful you know pictures you should actually look at it as a time warp not into something that the south has but into something which is a heritage of this entire nation this is like a uh, this is like looking uh, uh, into the past at uh, you know uh, your, our our own common legacy our own common uh, heritage with that i congratulate gurpreet and bharat may you write many more books may all the uh, you know inscriptions speak to you may all the uh, sthapatis of old uh, inspire you and may may we all benefit as a result thank you indika thank you thank you thank you deepak ji so much for your kind comments uh, and uh, yes absolutely we all wish and hope that uh, bharat and gurpreet continue to write more books on more topics related to our temples and there is so much more that uh, needs to be brought out in different forms and manners because different people consume information in different ways so we definitely look forward to that I will uh, now call upon the actual stars of our book launch uh, event today, the authors themselves, Gurpreet and Bharat, and uh, we all know that they are the authors of this wonderful, wonderful book, Cooperation in Stone, the Pallavas and Chalukyas. But let us also learn a little bit about uh, these persons themselves. So I will start with Bharat. So Bharat holds. Uh, an engineering degree from Bitspilani a management degree from IIM Ahmedabad and he has worked for more than two decades in the automotive technology IT services and automotive aftermarket industries and obviously as you can guess he has an uh, he has a great interest in travel history photography literature and also politics uh, uh, one thing that uh, some of you may or may not know is he is also a big fan of yes minister and uh, perhaps uh, there's a the, uh, there's a whole entire new conversation that we can have with him on that topic but for now uh before i invite him so he lives in chennai with his wife and he is on twitter as braku b r a k o o and bharat uh, please do tell us a little bit about the inspiration for writing this uh, book how did you get into photography and i as as a photo enthusiast would also be interested in knowing a little bit about the technical details of the photography you do the equipment you carry and uh, some of the uh, interesting challenges uh, or episodes you may have uh, faced i know for example i was uh, escorted out of a mall in the united states because i had planted a tripod and was taking long exposure shots in the middle of a tripod 3 months after 911 so there's a whole story there itself i'm sure you, you would have similar uh, stories to share so please bharat thank you thank you abhinav uh, i'm not such a naughty guy so um you know uh, it's been a very uh, it's a very surreal feeling today to have uh, such distinguished scholars launch our very humble attempt at visually capturing some of the temples of these two uh, illustrious kingdoms for two amateurs to have uh, bibek ji as the chief guest uh, meenakshi ji uh, has been very kind she's written the foreword she's the guest of honor and the eminent scholars who joined us today chitra ji uh, sashikala ji vasundhara ji and uh, deepa ji at our book launch this is overwhelming and unbelievably uh, joyous occasion for us and we 
thank all of them for being here um yesterday i went and met uh, dr nagaswami and gave him a copy of the book uh, he had also written a blurb for it so uh, we wanted him in the event but unfortunately um, he's not keeping too well so uh, i said i i'll go and give the book to him and so he went through the book and as he kept turning the pages and reminiscing and looking at the images and he kept mentioning one tidbit uh, after another and finally he said please sign the book and uh, honestly i had a lump in my throat here was someone who has uh, you know as they say in, in tamil dissolved and drank the history of these kingdoms their creations and he's asking a rank amateur whose grasp you know at best is uh, superficial to sign and hand over the book it was simply staggering uh, so there have been extraordinary kindness in this journey and all of this is really really thankful to indic academy to harikiran ji and to uh, dimple ji how we got on this journey uh, abhinav uh, dimple ji clearly saw something that neither guri nor i saw we were just a couple of people sharing tiny slivers of our heritage on on twitter and she saw the whole puzzle while we were just holding individual jigsaw pieces uh, we are very grateful to her and harikiran ji is just a wizard he waves an imaginary wand and things just happen magically uh, thank you so much uh, hari ji i think deepa shared a very similar uh, uh, experience this book has been a, a labor of love for nearly 3 years from when dimple contacted us till today when we are launching it uh, the process has been very enriching and lightening for us uh when we were asked to put a coffee table book together we didn't know where to start and which kingdoms to actually uh choose and after multiple discussions we chose these two kingdoms that were not just contemporaries but were also pioneers in temple construction uh and further they you know uh, many have spoken about it already about how they were feuding they were actually some scholars call them prakritya amitras natural enemies because they were fighting with each other for territory but yet the underlying culture the reverence for each other sacred spaces remained the same between the two kingdoms and hari ji in all his wisdom hit upon the right term to represent this dichotomy he called it coopetition in in stone but still we were starting from zero considering all that we knew were just the few paragraphs that are taught uh, uh, in our education about these kingdoms that actually span several centuries uh thankfully we've had eminent scholars who spent years studying inscriptions copper plates and the structures themselves and put together enough information to give us a vivid picture of those times and thus began a period of study for us be it kr shrinivasan's chronicling of the rock cut temples uh, sivaram murthy's books dr nagaswami's books on these locations uh, chitra madhavan ji has so many videos on youtube about many of these temples uh, uh dr c meenakshi uh, chitra ji already mentioned was the first woman to get a phd from the university of madras way back in the 1930s vasundhara ji's books and so many others i would have gone back to mahabalipuram and kanchipuram so many times because i read something realized i didn't have a, a, a picture of it i missed capturing something and ran back and and got a picture taken again this one moment this place is i have a power cut and it's very hot uh, so we uh, 
you know, sequenced the book to provide a progression of how these wonderful temples came along, came to be, uh, along with uh, snippets of history, tales from the Puranas. We spent almost a year in laying out the images and the script. So almost every page had something visual to help the reader relate to what he or she had read. After it was put together, I remember Dimpleji actually saying this has gone beyond a coffee table book. It is now something like a high tea book with crumpets and scones. We really did not imagine that we'd be producing a nearly 400 page book. Uh, there's one more person we really need to thank. After we laid out the script, we had uh, Sai Swarupaji's expert guidance. She was our editor. She helped us tighten the script, improve its style and the sequence so uh, many fold. Uh, and if you're listening, Sai Ji, thank you so much. Uh, so uh, last but not the least, Notion Press, uh, they worked with us closely in designing the book, bringing it to life. Uh, there are nearly 500 images. I don't have stories like what you have, Abhinav, but I have stories where I've screamed at people saying, take off your slippers and then uh, uh, get onto the structures, right? Those are my typical uh, experiences when I go uh, to these places. There, Many of them are not living temples, which are living, uh, you know, they have their own uh, 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 procedures and processes to be followed. So their people are fine. But when you go here, it's it still pains you to see somebody uh, jumping up and uh, on with slippers onto these structures and all. So that, that that's what frustrates you the most. Uh, but anyway, nevertheless, there are 500 images. Uh, I, we hope that it will provide you an immersive experience. I think, uh, you know, this is neither the first nor the last book that will be written about Palavas and Chalukyas. But we've attempted a unique visual journey that's guaranteed to transport you there. And we believe the book will be a good addition to your libraries. It's available on Amazon. Please to order. And uh, thank you very much to... Um, you know, all the distinguished guests and the participants who came and graced us with your uh, presence. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bharat. Uh, thank you for, uh, you know, for that. And before I invite uh, Gurpreet to share her experiences and talk a little bit about the creative process that went into the book, uh, I uh, want to tell people that uh, the uh, this is a coffee table book. It is uh, over 400 pages. It's got 500 photo photographs. It is... Uh, it has been lavishly produced. Uh, the quality is just incredible. It is uh, you know, uh, as good as you can expect from a coffee table book. And therefore, the book is not cheap. Okay. But to understand and put it in, in perspective, look at it this way. If a family of four were to go to a mall, watch a movie, have food, you'd probably spend as much money on that one outing as you would in buying this book. And over the last 15 months or so, most of us have been at home. So we have, I'm sure we have uh, saved enough money. Please do get this book. It deserves uh, enough readers. It deserves to be talked about, shared, read, and uh, bought. So this is how you encourage writers. This is how you encourage the right kind of uh, writing. So please do go ahead and, and buy a copy of the book and do leave your review on Amazon, on Flipkart, on Goodreads, wherever you want to, because this uh, reader reviews help other people make up their minds about uh, books. That is how a lot of the buying process works. So before I, uh, so 
here are a few words about Gurpreet. Uh, so she's a finance uh, professional and she has an engineering degree and a master's of science and, and, and a master of science degree. Uh, she's currently working in the equities market and she has worked, been doing this, you know, the similar kind of roles for uh, over 10 years. And obviously, like uh, Bharat, she's also interested in travel and history and literature and loves exploring various themes related uh, to Indian culture and its origins. Uh, uh, she has always lived in Mumbai, but again, it traveled extensively across the country. And uh, she is on Twitter as Guri Chopra, uh, Chopra, G-U-R-I-C-H-O-P-R-A. And Gurpreet, uh, please do tell us about uh, the creative inspiration for this book, the collaboration with Bharat, and uh, any interesting anecdotes uh, that, uh, that, that stand out. Thank you, thank you, Abhiji. Um, the last two hours have been just an amazing experience. Um, it, it feels such. I think we are experiencing some. We can't see you. Bandwidth, uh, bandwidth issues at uh, at Gurpreet's end. Uh, let's just give her a few more seconds, and uh, hopefully, it will improve. Uh, Gurpreet, your your voice is breaking up and your video has cut out some. I, I suspect your internet uh, speed is not that great right now. Yes. Um, Abhinavji, can you hear me now? Yes, yes, yes. Please go ahead. Yeah. Um, thank you for the introduction, Abhinavji. So, uh, today it was a, a surreal experience. This is almost like a fairy tale come true for me that I have, uh, you know, um, these eminent personalities talking about my book have actually spent time going through it and mentoring us. I think this is what uh, the NDK community does. It really promotes fresh talent and, uh, you know, it works for the Indie cause and uh, this is really inspirational. Um, I, feel, I feel really happy being here today. And as Bharat said that, we are two STEM graduates, we are amateurs, and what really motivated us was, uh, you know, the curiosity that we had regarding our temple spaces, our temple heritage. And in order to learn more about it, we started visiting them and studying about the temple architecture, make, trying to make sense of the iconography. And we started sharing those on Twitter and our other social media accounts. And that is where uh, we were spotted by Dimple Call. And uh, Dimple, as she is, she is able to look at a person and really look at the latent possibilities in the person, uh, you know, which when we were not aware that we could, you know, work in this direction. And we never had the idea of writing a book on our minds. So really big thanks to Dimple Call for, you know, curating us as authors, for motivating us and, uh, you know, pushing us in a direction where we could believe in ourselves and deliver the, the final product that she had in mind for us. Um, Hari Kiran Vadlamani ji, again, like uh, everybody has been mentioning, is an immense support uh, to anybody who comes uh, with an intent to learn and contribute to our civilization. Uh, he really gave us his time. He sat for long calls with us. He solved our issues. And uh, we'll never forget your kindness, Hari ji, and your support. So Indic Academy has been instrumental in getting us here. And I don't think we can thank them enough. Um, finally, I would like to say that 
this is uh, you know something that today uh, it, it it is like a epoch making event in my life and i just want to be thankful to all of these people here who have spared time and everything that they have spoken about today is again it 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 makes me feel like i have not written much about you know the temples in the book and there are so many things for those same temples that can still be investigated uh, thank you so much for sparing time for us um i'd like to share a bit of now about you know probably the questions that arose in my mind uh, why did i get pulled towards studying about temples you know i had always been curious about what was the role of uh, you know the hindu temple in our society from a cultural viewpoint or from a civilization viewpoint the normal reaction when you look at a temple is it looks beautiful but then what about that like when you visit these temples you see that you know there these are the pinnacle of arts the architecture amazes you stuns you the aesthetics are out of out of uh, you know they will blow your mind but then one wonders from where does that thought process or that world view come in which you know leads to the creation of these kind of uh, inimitable consecrated spaces and that is when we started uh, you know i started delving more into this um, uh, trying to visit more and more temples and now after uh, researching for this book i now realize that a temple is a very important space it's not just an aesthetic place where you experience rasa it is actually a consecrated space where a devotee can go and interact with the consecrated deity uh, in the gargabriha at the same time it becomes an ecosystem by its own you know it has an important role to play in the society and when we studied about these temples at of the chalukyas and pallavas we realized that they were like the nucleus of society they were uh, you know those places which promoted arts architecture sculpture and all the multi varied expressions of bhakti so when one looks at a temple one has to understand that it's being built as on the basis of the agama shastras and that it's actually like a physical manifestation of the cosmos you know that has been uh, now represented in a particular manner and therefore that there we see that inimitable aesthetics of the hindu temple architecture which we do not see anywhere across in the world so this is that contextual interpretation that was absent initially and which i feel lucky to have even got a glimpse of and i'm sure i have a long way to go the intention of this book is this is not really a scholarly work it is it is basically to communicate to people like me you know what i was probably years ago so that they can get a contextual basis to approach the temple you know with a sense of belonging and to understand that it's a shared civilization legacy that you have to protect that you have to preserve that is the main intent of this book um but i did touch upon why we chose the pallavan chalukyas and chitraji and vasundraji uh, and also minakshi ji spoke about it but we chose this time also because this was the time when the temples really became bigger in size and when rock temples really got formalized in terms of the templates and therefore it's important to study this time if you're really interested in studying about temples um and in our book we have tried to add the kind of information that will benefit a lay person for example we have added information about the different type of architectural templates the different components of a temple the various iconographic uh, interpretations we have discussed the puranic themes that are available or that are present on the, the temple pillars some of which were sundarji explained in detail today we have also uh, given the inscriptions that were available on the temple facades uh, as well as on the copper plates that have been discovered so far we've also touched a bit upon 
the local and the administrative systems, the involvement of the monarchy, and most importantly, the local populace in maintaining a temple. It was a shared kind of a system where everybody owned and everybody contributed and benefited from it. So this is, uh, these are some of the, uh, the points that we have tried to bring in the book. And another very important thing that we tried to bring out, which we also discovered while researching for this book, is this underlying thread of cultural unity that we see across Bharat Varsha. Um, we can see it from the pan-Indic nature of some of the texts like Natya Shastra or the in intention to imitate Kalidasa. We can also see that, you know, no matter what the political differences are, ultimately when you again attack an enemy kingdom, there is a sense of reverence that you have for the, you know, the other kingdom's consecrated spaces. There is a sense of inspiration that you derive from it and you treasure it as equally as you would a temple in your own kingdom. So it is completely different from a fragmented sort of a country that we would you know, specifically read in our textbooks. And these are some of the very important takeaways that we hope that um, you know, people will be able to derive. So I honestly hope and pray that you know, whoever gets this book uh, will want to explore this, uh, not just uh, the Pallava and Chalukya temple sites, but our legacy, our shared legacy, and it holds tremendous lessons for us even today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Gurpreet, so much. Uh, again, as I said, that uh, uh, this is a coffee table book. It has uh, been lavishly produced. It's got endorsements uh, from so many eminent personalities, and it is a treasure. So do get yourselves a copy of the book. And as I said, you know, do talk about it, share uh, uh, you know, your thoughts about the book. And you can obviously carry on a conversation with the authors on Twitter. I shared their uh, Twitter handle, so please make use of that. And I would now like to invite the person who has made so much of this possible, Shri Hari Kiran Vadlamani Ji. And he is the founder, the inspiration, the, the driving force, the energy behind Indic Academy, Indic Book Club, and so many other uh, initiatives that have emerged out of it. I, uh, I, I don't have the words to do full justice uh, to him, but uh, uh, over, in my association over the last, uh, I think, six years now, coming close to six years now, I have given him more than enough reason to get annoyed, frustrated, irritated with me. And I make sure I do these things. I follow these things one after the other in cycle. And his uh, patience and his perseverance are something that uh, are an inspiration, uh, something to learn from. Obviously, I won't, but for others, uh, I you know request that they do learn from his sense of uh, patience, his vision, his uh, commitment. Uh, so, Hariji, please Thank do you. share a few words. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. You're not known for kindness, so you made an exception for me today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just want to say a few words, but before I start, I am sure a lot of you have uh, seen on Twitter that uh, there is an advertisement by uh, NCRT saying that the history books, uh, there's some gaps, they found some gaps. And they asked for uh, feedback. 
as to what can what can be done to make changes to the history books. I would posit to you and I would request you to treat this announcement as an advertisement by Indic Academy to let us know what are the shortcomings or the areas of our culture that have not been featured as coffee table books because we want to plug that. The history books, they're making an attempt, but we want to do coffee table books. You might ask why when the whole publishing business is going through a, a sort of a downhill, why is it that now we have suddenly taken up this task of coffee table books? There is this Vedantic text called Drik Drisha Viveka. The discrimination between the seer and the seen. So, the summary of the text is that there is an object, there are the senses, there's a mind, and there's a self. So, for the objects is the seen, the seer are the senses. The senses is the scene, the seer is the mind. The mind is the scene, the seer is the Atma, the Sakshi Baba. So this is how the understanding of the seer scene is explained in this text very beautifully. Now in the case of art, as Rupert Spiro also says, art, when a person sees art, the experience, there is no friction between the art is directly touches to the Atma. So the oneness is exposed. There is no, the observer they understands the art in such a way that he experiences the Atma. That is the beauty of art. Our culture is designed to be experienced as art. Please think about this. Our culture is designed to be experienced as art. Ours is an experiential culture. And today, if you go to Amazon and Google the coffee table books on our culture, the answer will expose to you. The same, the Marxist historians will visually be represented even here also. So in order for us to experience our culture, 
we need to this visual vibrant culture we need to capture it and it has to be captured by people who have shraddha and who are immersed in this culture which is what gurpreet and bharat are they belong to this civilization and they have captured this beautiful book and i'm immensely proud actually when i hold this book this is our first initiative and i'm immensely proud to have worked with them i'm i'm grateful to bhagwan for uh, and and to them for giving us this opportunity to capture because this is a journey that we have set out is a very important journey we have a vertical called indica pictures where we are trying to feature filmmakers and photographers who will portray our heritage showcase it to the uh, global audiences who will capture or but who are rooted we have just launched a photography grant and our idea is that once the selections come in that will turn into a number of coffee table books last year we had sponsored a heritage rally poisala temples jay jina who is in the audience his book is coming out rukmini vijay kumar's book where she does a tour of all the temples in the, in the, in the south on the shivaratri during the shivaratri week that is coming as a journey during the ganesh utsav we are trying to uh, sponsor the children the underprivileged children give them the cameras to capture all the the ganesh pandals in hyderabad and mumbai so it is very important that if we want to experience our culture we need to translate it into a visual documentation i would urge all the scholars to think about this how to convert their scholarly books into coffee table books today the tourism industry the biggest vertical that's the highest growth rate is experiential tourism that people want to experience the culture they just don't want to come and see something but they want to experience that culture what does experience mean they want a scholarly input they want to see the food every aspect of it they want an intellectual layer this intellectual layer is what this book provides today if anybody does a tour the kind of thinking that will experience they will get the experience is of a different nature we have done a conference on yatras and i have requested all the scholars that they should think of their scholarship in terms not just in terms of a product which is a book but in terms of a course which is a service but in terms of taking scholars and young students on a tour wherein they explain physically that is what chitra madhavan specialized in specializes in and she has uh, created so many scholars so many so many scholars who have experienced her wisdom along with a temple in a physical format we need more to create more chitra madhavan school venture out into experience uh, teaching i'm sure bharat is raring to go now 
and 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 take uh, friends who 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 will accompany him to uh, these temples and gurpreet too so this is the reason why we believe that as a first step this amalgamation of photographs visual and uh, the writing as a first step has to start and this is the importance of coffee table books from here a documentary from here uh, to an actual experience this is the stage and this is how our culture can be revived our culture has to be lived as an art to immerse ourselves in that art it gives many 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 uh, opportunities throughout the year and if we take these opportunities and convert them into this experience and into this art form you will be in a uh, a, a transformative uh, space i would like to thank sai swarupa for uh, editing this book i would also like to thank all the people we reached out and asked them please endorse this book everybody uh, uh, were very very appreciative of this initiative uh, vijay kumar from singapore sanjee sanyal bibek ji chitra ji sashikant ji uh, uh, meenakshi ji so many of them they have really really responded and i was really amazed at the the spontaneity with which they responded and i am really grateful for to all of them for this finally i would i would really like to thank uh, dimple for what she has done this is drishti this is drishti you are on twitter you are seeing all these things you are seeing this you are seeing this and then you make a connection this is this is a very special gift this is how uh, we have created this unsung whaler from uh, from sai sophai it is also a drishti it just came out that we were seeing uh, what uh, sai has done about kurukshetra war and the kind of calculation that she did and the next lo behold there was an idea that was generated that we will and today it's a best seller and is going to be made into a movie too so i request all the public intellectuals to look at these disparate things and see how we can create magic like what uh, dimple has done so with this few words i thank once again uh, bharat and gurpreet for giving indic academy this opportunity i mean really really grateful to them for this wonderful book that we have been able to publish i request all of you to uh, please buy the book and encourage us to continue this work thank you thank you arijit for your for your uh, words of inspiration and uh, for the vision that you have uh, outlined and over the last several years six years at least uh, you've been uh, working tirelessly with everyone to bring different parts of that vision to fruition and reality and obviously to dimple for her literally i would say infinite energy and enthusiasm and her ability to follow up with people to chase them to bring out the best that they can that they have that she sees the potential in so thank you again dimple for all your work and i would like to also now as we come to the conclusion of this book launch event i would like to once again thank everyone who uh, agreed and graced this occasion today that uh, shared their their words of uh, wisdom their experiences I mean, can we just request dimple also to say a few words absolutely so uh dimple please say a few words 
Dimple, please. This is a uh, few words. I just said few words. We can't just go out of the planned uh, schedule for the evening, but uh, I appreciate uh, this gesture, Hariji. Thank you so very much. Namaste, everyone, all the panelists who are still here with us and the attendees who are there. Thank you so very much for showing up because that means a lot uh, and it gives uh, impetus to us to do more. I'll, Abhinav keeps using last but not the least. I will try and take the least amount of time. So Abhinav, you have to tell me if I'm overstepping. So this book, uh, I am super delighted uh, with it, obviously, because I worked on it, but no, not that. I'm delighted with this book because it took three years in the making and I really should, I shouldn't have been here when this book is launched. It should have happened last year or maybe a year ago before that, but this book kept calling to me. I spotted Bharat and Gurpreet on Twitter. They have said it. I saw them share various threads, go to temple, brilliant photography. And I was like, these are two STEM professionals who are definitely passionate and unabashed about their devotion in the Supreme. They have go, they're going to all these places and they are tweeting these and they're talking about go to temple, walk to temple. So it's not just, oh, I am a great photographer and look at the angle and how I've captured the sunlight and all. No, it's about walk to temple. So they, they are completely immersed in that whole experience. And then in, intelligent people, the both of them are, when I DM them, I haven't met them yet, by the way, we have never met in person. And I think we've just seen each other's faces a few times, that's all. So I am so honored and grateful to the both of them that a random stranger DMs them and tells them that, hey, would you think we could just have a compilation of your pictures and all? And I, and I approached both of them individually first. And when they agreed, then I kind of said, okay, now the two of you, I'm looking at you, look at you as, as a team. And then, then I tell them gradually. So once they are in, I'm like, okay, but you know, coffee table book generally has a picture and some text, but you know, it's such a beautiful picture. This text, the, the picture will, will be so captivating because that's what you are excelling at that they, the readers will definitely look at the text. Can we make the text more en engaging for them? And can we ensure, do you have it in you to research and instead of saying, oh, this is the temple and there's this, would you like to actually understand what it is? There are books galore, references galore, scholars have written so much on it. Do you have an attitude to go into that and elevate it from picture ke text So the picture makes the reader look at the text and the text engages them, inspires them, you know, enhances their curiosity or in some people creates the curiosity to perhaps refer the text themselves like, oh, so Dr. Vasundara has written something here. Can I go look at her work? And when then we look at the amount of work she's done. Oh, Meenakshi Ji's foreword is there. Some people might not know Meenakshi Ji and that's their misfortune, let me be very fair. And I'm biased towards her, of course she knows. So this book is not just a coffee table book with pictures and all, of course it is that, but it is all that and more. It's photography, history, research, epigraphy, inscriptions, all amalgamated there to get the lay reader as Hariji said and other speakers did before me, to connect with the, with the civilization that we have inherited. I am super, super proud of being uh, the inheritor of the longest extant human civilization. And I am happy to connect and collaborate with like-minded individuals. 
uh, in this endeavor to ensure that those of us who, because of various reasons or just because, you know, being caught up in the rigmarole of life, have stopped appreciating the wonder that it is to have inherited that, that art, that architecture, literature, all of that. So this coffee table book is not just that. And that's one element of it. Why did I choose Bharat and Gurpreet? There are a lot of other people too, and all of them are talented. We always keep hearing about North and South divide, the Dravidian thing and in the imposition and this and that. And we also hear about things like, oh, all these Indic faiths, Sikhism was very different, yeah, Hindu and all. And I come from that age, I'm too old that I have had friends whose uncles and all they had, like, our first son So I knew of those things. And here I am looking at people online or even in mainstream media talking about those differences. And then, oh, the patriarchy of Hinduism, there's no empowerment, women are chained. North-South divide, patriarchy, women are not empowered. Here you have a woman is a co-author. She's a Sikh woman, by the way who is completely connected with her roots and she's a proud Sikh and she's a proud Sanatani. And she stood her ground in this brilliant book with Bharat, who is from Chennai. And he speaks so many languages and he speaks better Hindi than I do. So there's, there's a lot in this project and that's why it's really dear to me. All of the projects that I have conceived and I'm a super private person, I don't like to talk about things in public like this and I'm not a great public speaker either but all of those projects are just inspiration I'm just a medium a channel I look at something and the divine guides me and here I am it's such a fortune that in this year they have raised my tally of debut authors to three so we had D.V. Sridharanji write non-fiction at the age of 78 he debuted this year too good news India was his book published by Bloomsbury, who is, he's there in the participants, I guess. And then we have Bharat and Gurpreet, who've honored me by being debut authors two and three. Uh, this book was not meant to be a scholarly endeavor, but it was meant to create that channel between the masses and academia, in a sense, and also to make that gesture of encouragement that even if you are a STEM professional doing a corporate kind of a job, you can take time out, you have the intellect, you can research and you can elevate something from just mere pictures on Twitter. So with that, I thank all of you. I am just beaming with pride and joy. And just this once, I think I can be unabashed about it. Thank you so very much. Namaste. Thank you, Avinav. Over to you. Thank you so much, Temple. It's a, a you know, bundle of energy, creativity, and it's so nice to see your creative, uh, uh, you know, impetus result in such fine works. And uh, people, again, the book is Cooptition in Stone, Pallavas and the Chalukyas, written by and photographed and created by Gurpreet and Bharat. It is available on Amazon. It is a coffee table book, uh, something that will stay with you for years and years uh, to come. It can be your companion, even though Sri Vivek the Broy said it's, uh, it's a very heavy book, but... Uh, if you can, it can serve as a companion on your travels. And I and we all look forward to hearing about you from, uh, from different sources as you read this book, share and talk about this book. Before we close, I would like to propose a vote of thanks to 
our, uh, our honored guests today, in, uh, starting with Shri Vivek Tabroy, Minakshi Chen Ji, Shashikala Ji, Chitra Madhvan Ji, uh, Vasundra uh, Ji, uh, Deepa Ji, who took the time to come and talk and share their thoughts uh, about uh, not only the book, but uh, on topics connected with the, the book and the and, and essentially give us a glimpse, a small, small, small peek into the entire universe of our culture, our history, our heritage that lies before us. And I would have asked questions, but as some, as one of the participants said, you know, I feel completely ineligible to even know what questions to ask. So one step to this journey begins with the book. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this book launch event. On behalf of Indic Academy, on behalf of Indic Book Club, I thank all of you. We will put this video up on YouTube, and the book, as I said again, is available on Amazon and elsewhere. Namaskar, and thank you.